Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I got to ask you a question. Don't everybody answer it once. <laughs> I have to ask you a question. Have you ever met a culture and creativity expert? If not, you are about to spend some quality time with one. She is the CEO and founder of Spring Street Solutions, a culture and creativity expert. But right now, she is a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and that is Ann Jacoby. And welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. It's so great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, I, I tried to, to give you a robust introduction. <laughs> And, you know, you know, it may or may not have have hit the mark or the the, the high note crescendo, but we we tried. We we, <laughs> we tried. So and I look like I'm bundled up for some reason. I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, I look like I'm bundled up, but it's it's about 65 degrees here in rain. We've had rain the last couple of days as we record this. So I, I am bundled up a little bit. But how are you today? I'm doing great. And you know, it's probably cooler in Southern California than it is where you are, Brian. So, um, you know, it's a, a chilly day here, but sunny. Can't complain. Well, this is almost heaven, West Virginia. Now, what your definition of heaven is, is, is entirely <laughs> up to you. But, you know, we call ourselves almost heaven. So, you know, but, but anyway, it is so good to have you. I want to start here. And, and, and I want to go in a different direction, Anne, because... And I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. Full sure. disclosure, we have heard a lot of things about how the last couple of years, about how Californians have managed the pandemic. I know what it's been like in, like in a state, in a state of 1.8 million people. There's probably <laughs> a neighborhood where you live of 1.8 million people. This is an entire state of one point. I know that some of the challenges we faced, some of the opportunities and things like that. I want you to take me through the last couple of years as we as we thank the Lord wind down to the end of this pandemic. But what are what's the last couple of years been like for you and your business? And what's one lesson that you've pulled out of the last couple of years that you're going to carry forward 
throughout the next three to five years in your business. Oh my goodness. Isn't that a great opener? Um, it has been a trying couple of years. You know, I think um, we each have personal experiences that we've gone through. I'm a parent. I have two young kids. That's been very interesting, especially in the early days of the pandemic. How having do you them look home? the way you look with two young kids? I have a 21-year-old <laughs> college student and my gray hair is showing all over my face. How, how in the world do you do it, Anne? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, you just so calmly and coolly said, I have two young kids. And I'm thinking to myself, I've raised one and gotten him almost through college. And I, you know, I'm not as vibrant as that. It must be oh, the Southern California sunshine. <laughs> I think but, that's it. But, but, you know, you, you, what, what lessons have you taken from the, the, the pandemic the last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about patience. I don't consider myself to be an incredibly patient person by nature. I kind of like to drive and push things forward. And I think knowing when to just release and let go and recognize that a lot of things aren't within our span of control and all we can do is be our best selves. And that sounds simple to say, very hard to do in practice. So just focusing on, hey, what's one thing that I can do today to be my best self, to show up for others who need me, uh, to bring some creativity and light uh, I started my business right as the pandemic was getting started. And I thought to myself, what have I done? You know, I've launched this business yeah. and now suddenly everything is, is upside down. But I think it's that accepting the grace, accepting day-to-day -day practices of, I'm just going to do what I can do. And then I'm going to let go. And that's, that's hard for me to do. Uh, but it's a, a lesson that I'll definitely carry forward. I love what you said there. And the way that I'm I'm jotting it down in the notes is accepting day-to-day -day what you can control. And, and I think a lot of people, and I, I believe a lot of people did this, they almost kind of went into duck and cover mode when the pandemic hit because it was almost like, okay, well, I can't control this and I can't control that and I can't control something else. And we forgot about the things that we could control. We forgot about the things that were right in front of us that we could say, okay, well, I can control my encouragement level. Mm -hmm. I can control what my family takes in or what we don't take in. Right. I can control what the, the atmosphere that we can create, the creativity, like, like you mentioned, you can, you can control the creativity. And I, and I love that when, when you thought about when you first launched your business at the start of the pandemic. I'm curious how clients were receiving, not only one, receiving the, the offering that you had, but two, really getting their arms around understanding what your mission and your focus of your business was, your vision, if you will, for your company. Yes. What were some of those conversations like early on with some of those clients? Were they, did they give you looks like, are you speaking Mandarin Chinese to us here or something like that? What were those early conversations like? Well, it's interesting, Brian. So my initial business idea was to host in-person workshops where people could collaborate to become more creative as a culture. And obviously all of the in-person was completely off the table. <laughs> that happened very quickly. So I pivoted to online and a lot of my clients are global in nature. So they have teams spread across the country and often the globe. And this need to connect 
personally to become Mm -hmm. human and be there for each other only intensified. So the conversations I had were, yes, we need this. Yes, we need this more than ever. Mm -hmm. And how can you help? So it was a pretty easy pivot for me to say, hey, we know that culture matters now more than ever. Now we're hit with the great resignation where people are leaving. We're trying to figure out how do we connect them to our culture? How Mm -hmm. do we do that in a different way that feels authentic to our culture? So uh, it was actually a pretty seamless transition. And I was met with a lot of enthusiasm. (laughs) You know, as you were telling that story, I was, I was kind of reminded of an episode of the big bang theory, the the television show. (laughs) Uh huh. And it's the episode and it was, it was, it, it, and it was almost like a prelude to what we were going through. Something traumatic happened to Sheldon and he wanted to stay in his room, but he had to continue to work and things like that. So he built a robot with his face on it that, that Leonard took him to work and, and, you know, he could, he was like, well, I can continue doing these things, but I can do them virtually and, you know, except open the door for himself or the, you know, things like that. And what he found out was, is like, Hey, life is the, 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 the lesson I took from that episode was life is best lived, living it, just, mm. just being a, you know, yes, bad things are going to happen to good people, but life goes on. When you talk about people accepting the vision that you were casting with your company around creativity and pivoting from an in-person model to a virtual model, what did you learn about your own creativity in that moment? Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in the power of creative constraints. And I think the pandemic is probably the biggest creative constraint we've all been thrown recently. And uh, yes. when you, when you have- <laughs> Yes, 100%. I think that is, that is the say. accurate statement of the year. Exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. So when you're given this container in which you need to operate, new things can emerge. You see things in a different light. And I think to your earlier point about wanting to control things, I think a lot of times companies and leaders thought, well, gosh, we got to lean into the status quo. We got to lean into what worked before. Well, you know, surprise, nothing is as it has been. We need to reinvent. Creativity and innovation is more important than it ever has been. We actually need to get ourselves out of our comfort zone. We need to experiment and try new things. And it's those muscles that I try to help leaders develop in their growing their businesses and connecting with their employees. But it's for some very uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable journey not to rely on what we know works. So when you're in that state of imagining and trying new things, It takes a lot of courage. It takes intention and strategy, but it also takes a willingness to fail and fall on your face and get back up and try again. So it's those kinds of behaviors that I think leaders really recognize they needed to quickly grow and develop. Yeah. And and so that's, that's part of the work that I do. I want to go here for just a second. You, You made me think of something as you were talking there a moment ago. And it's something that I call volunteer syndrome. <laughs> Basically, and, and here's how I want to set this up, Ann. I'm going to get your thoughts around it. I love what you said about getting out of our comfort zone. And there's been a lot said and, and written about that philosophy. And it still works. It's still a great philosophy. I think of it like this. I think at times people, that there there are two types of people that you have. Okay. You have the, the, the person that's the volunteer. 
like sign me up. So let's say, for instance, um, you know, somebody who's doing a magic trick and they're like, I need a volunteer from the audience. There are some people that will duck and cover. They will hide. They will run to the restroom. They will fake a heart attack. They will do whatever they have to do not to get picked. <laughs> then yep. there are some that go, that just immediately shoot their hand in the air and, and the magician pulls back the curtain and it's the box and, and you, you have some people going, put me in the box. Yeah, I saw me in it. Yay. Yay, me. And, <laughs> and, and you, you have some of those people like that. And I think what, what you really brilliantly brought out to us is that sometimes the best position we can be in is not the person that's raising their hand first. But it's the person that that is is reticent to step forward when really what they need to do is step forward mm. and get themselves out of that that comfort zone. And I'll share this with you and we'll, we'll step aside, and take a break. I used to, to talk to high school kids when I was a, a college recruiter. And I remember doing an exercise similar to that where. And I remember I was at a high school up in Webster County, West Virginia. And I said, let me put one of your teachers in the box. And so a nice teacher allowed me to put her in the box. And I started firing golf balls at this box. And I'm like, you know what, guys? Sometimes the safest place to be is the place that you're always going to be. And if you don't get out of that place then you're always going to retreat inward. But when you retreat inward, there's nowhere else to go. Why do you think for some companies and some people, it was hard for them to get out of their own box, if you will? And what really was the turning point for you, what you saw where you had that V8 moment where you said, this is going to work? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you're touching on a lot of interesting themes, and I think people's work styles and preferences, introverts, extroverts, people who will volunteer, people who will retreat, we work with all of them, right? That's part of the beautiful diversity of, of our workplace. And I think what's been really powerful in this pandemic is finding ways to connect with all different types of people and value their perspectives. And, you know, call it get out of your comfort zone. I'm a big believer in the beginner's mind. So thinking of even as a leader, hey, I'm still learning. I'm still new to these challenges. And I'm still going to learn from maybe the intern that I just brought on board, you know, maybe yeah. the most junior person on my team. So I think about it from the perspective of we're all learning from each other. We all have different work styles, but we need to create different modes of, again, bringing out the best in each other. And that's going to look different based on, hey, you're the person who can't wait to be put in the box, right? Yeah. Or you're the person who's running, you know, running for the fake heart attack. Yeah. Um, you got to find ways to connect with all different types of people because everyone has great creative ideas. We just need to access them in different ways. So that's kind of where my head went with, with your your description of that. <laughs> the teacher No, story. I love that. Let's step aside and take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about your company, Spring Street Solutions. And and when we come back from the break, I want to talk with Ann about personalizing creativity. 
because everybody is creative in different ways. So let's talk about how we make it personal. And for you, the leader, for you, the entrepreneur, for you out there that's listening to that, maybe thinking to, to yourself, how can I make it individualized where I encourage create? We're going to talk about that. My guest is the CEO of Spring Street Solutions, culture and creativity expert, Ann Jacoby, joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car. Whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year, let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I love what you said before the break about creativity and learning from each other because and 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 I'll go here with this and I want to get your thoughts around this if you sat if you sat me down on it at a table and said Brian draw me a picture yeah it's <laughs> iffy it's it's touch and go but there are some people that would just say give me 5 minutes and and they could they could take your they could take the the shot of this and they could draw us a beautiful picture of they could draw a picture of you or myself straight on and they they could do it just i mean just draw incredible things just freehand and just straight we think of those people as creatives what are true creatives really like because not everybody has the same sense of creativity but everybody to a, a large degree is a creative. So how do people define their own creative? Yeah, gosh. Um, you know, I work with a lot of folks, even though I come from an arts background, right? I was a singer, actor, dancer. I kind of come from the discipline of the arts as one of the conduits to creativity. However, I work with a lot of folks who do not have those backgrounds, who are lawyers and accountants and in in careers that you may not associate with creativity and yet these are highly creative leaders that I partner with and I think shifting our mindset to recognize as you said Brian everyone's a creative it's about how you access that how do you tap into your individual creativity how do you unlock seeing things in a different way or activating your imagination 
I mentioned before, I have two young kids and boy, oh boy, are kids creative just naturally, right? They are putting things together for the first time because everything's new. There's a newness to their experience of the world. And so if we can think about navigating our own challenges through that lens, through how can I see this in a different way? How can I recombine all of these different intersection points, right? And, and Well, a lot of times kids something. are creative on a white wall with crayons. They're no, creative <laughs> with they're creative with dish detergent in the toilet, you know. They're crea- <laughs> you know, they're creative in those ways, you know, that that's, you know, or hey, look mom, in the middle of the floor there's macaroni flour and spaghetti sauce. And <laughs> and it's just, you know, I couldn't reach the stove, so I decided to throw everything on the floor, you know. But yeah, kids are really a, creative, Anne. No, everything to them is a story, right? I mean, there's just such such beauty in that kind of way of experiencing the world and exploring and letting ourselves imagine for a moment. Imagine if this problem were solved, what could it look like? And so I think that's that's a discipline that one can yeah. practice. Wherever you sit in your company, uh, you may not identify as a creative, but you're solving problems and you're seeing things in a new light. And that is creativity, but it does take practice. It takes a discipline of saying, no, I'm going to seek out different perspectives here and I'm going to recombine them so I create something better than has been done before. Well, you mentioned singing, okay? And and I have sung since I was three. My dad mm-hmm. had me singing in church when I was three. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone yesterday about singing parts and harmony. I sing in a Southern gospel quartet mm-hmm. and I went from the highest male part to the lower end, but it takes a discipline. People just say, oh, you're, you're born with it. And, and to some degree you are, to some degree you are, you, you are, you are able to do things with your voice and you're able to match harmonic tones and match pitches and you can you can do that and and yes that that's exactly right but the best of the best take that creativity that they have naturally and they're constantly building off of it they're constantly working on it they're constantly it's just like someone that podcasts and i said this a little while ago you can have the best microphone in the world and a terrible voice <laughs> True. It doesn't, you know, and, and it's the same thing with, with singers. You can take a beautiful singer with no microphone whatsoever, no amplification, and their voice is still pure. It's still mm-hmm. robust. Mm-hmm. But you can take the worst singer in the world with the best equipment and the best microphone. It's not going to change the voice. You know, and you can work with them and you can you can help them but to some, you know, maybe they don't hear it. Maybe they don't see it. Things like that. What happens in a company? Let's focus here for a minute. What happens in a company where creativity is forced and not encouraged? So in other words, you know, CEO says, oh, we need to be more creative company. And so instead of naturally letting those folks in the building, so to speak, or outside the building, have that freedom to create. All of a sudden, we're forcing creativity instead of tapping into it. Mm. I hope I'm asking that question correctly, but I want to get your thoughts on 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 how we we naturally more create we we create 
a culture of creativity more naturally instead of forcing it? Yeah, it's a really insightful question. And I think it comes down to what behaviors are you rewarding? And a lot of times I think leaders get fixated on outcomes and naturally so, right? You want to achieve certain goals. Um, your company needs to grow at a certain pace. Uh, we all have been there. We understand that that pressure that a lot of leaders are under. However, obsessing over just the output kind of negates the important good stuff that happens during the process. And that's what creativity is, right? It's a process. And we all know that to get to a good idea, you're probably going to have a lot of ideas that aren't so good, but you need to try them on, right? You need to, um, you know, work it through. Maybe you're working on a new client product or a service. Um, you need to experiment and gather data from your customers, see what they like, what they don't like, iterate. That's the creative journey that we're all on. And you need to focus on, as a leader in particular, rewarding that journey and celebrating when people try new things, even if it doesn't lead to commercial success. And that's a really hard thing to, to get your head around. You know, here I am rewarding someone for failing, but that's exactly the kind of behavior that you want to encourage is if you're saying, yes, good job, you, you tried this. No, it didn't work, but I'm really proud of you for trying. And hey, maybe we can try it this way next time. That's the kind of mindset that we want to get to, to create a, a culture of creativity. It reminds me of the famous SNL sketch, the cowbell sketch. <laughs> More it, cowbell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a fever and the prescription <laughs> is more cowbell, you know, and that, that thing. But here's the thing. We think of these famous musical riffs, either vocally or instrumentally. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you think to yourself, wow, that takes a lot of talent and, and it really does. And you understand, I understand the, the process, but sometimes the greatest, most legendary things happen off the cuff to your point in the idea iteration part of the, yeah. what if we try to bend this note at the top? Mm -hmm. What if we try to, to do a little, a little, back in yodel or something like that hey when you're playing that that lick how about adding another run in that lick mm -hmm. it, it comes from to your point and it's a beautiful point about the things that can turn our companies upside down sometimes are the things that just come from wait a minute i hear something here what if we took this and we bent it just a little bit. We tweaked it just a little bit. What if you sang this line this way? Let's try that. Mm -hmm. Let's see what that is. And I love what you said that what holds companies back though, from being as creative as they can be, what holds leaders back entrepreneurs in your experience? What, what is that thing that causes them not to be as creative culturally in their companies as they can be or need to be. Yeah, uh, no question. It's it's psychological safety. It's the feeling that it's okay to fail, and the feeling that I can take a risk and people aren't going to laugh at me <laughs> or think that I'm ridiculous. I mean, that psychological safety is so important to invest time in and to get right. And that's really the foundation for everything good that follows, you know, the trust that you build with your team, um, the creative ideas that will flow, the, the business that you'll generate together, the ways that you'll celebrate and reward each other. All of that stems from, 
the foundation of psychological safety. Uh, and it takes a lot of intention to get right. It's really easy to fall into the trap of um, leading by fear or, uh, you know, creating an environment where people just don't feel that they can fully be themselves because they're worried about what, what the ramifications might be. And I love that because again, you know, the greatest things happen when you allow people to just give you the good stuff that they have already within them. Yes. Um, and I don't know why I'm talking, but Jim Gaffigan does a comedy bit where he's talking about hot pockets and he's like, you know, this guy says, you know, he comes up with this idea and this guy goes, that's brilliant. You're a genius. You know, it's, you know, I guess in Mexico, we call it caliente pockets. And the guy goes, you have a gift, my friend, you know, it's, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but he talks about, he's, he's accentuating the absurd because a lot of times we think that dumb luck leads to an idea when it's not really dumb luck it's just been building under the surface the whole time and it's just been waiting to come to the surface instead of we we've we've discouraged the creative ideas instead of encouraged the creative ideas i want to to park on one last thought and then we'll step aside and take another break What's your biggest piece of encouragement for companies that want to really tap in and find an uber creative culture? Wow. Uh, there are so many, so many things to say. I think a growth mindset is a good place to start that acknowledgement that we're all learning and that with effort, we can improve both as individuals and as the collective team. Uh, Microsoft has done an amazing job. Sasha Nadella, the CEO, uh, has you know, done a complete turnaround with the growth mindset culture. So I think that's something that I really uh, respond well to is how do we create this environment of learning? It's a learn-it-all culture, not a know-it-all culture. And uh, you know, having leaders admit where they've stumbled, where they've fallen down and didn't do things well and how they're, how they're going to do things differently going forward. It takes a lot of humility and vulnerability, but it really does lead to great cultural results. I love that. I love that. And, and this is so good because every company out there that is, that is ultra successful has, has creativity and companies that want to get there are saying, but we need to be more creative. We, it, it's funny, Ann, and I'll, I'll say this, I promise we'll get to break. It's funny that companies want to get creative when they think they need more sales or they need more growth in their company. They need more top line revenue growth or they need more profitability growth. Everybody gets creative at that point. But what if you could get proactively creative before you need that growth or before you need the, that sales hit or before you need that those things? And I feel like that that we're getting that shift. And thank you, by the way, for leading that shift. I, I really feel like that you and your company, that Spring Street is 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 kind of on the forefront of leading that that creativity growth. So thank you for that. It's going to make a lot of companies better. And maybe you're listening or watching this podcast and you go, oh, man, you know, V8 moment here. Yeah, we need to be more creative in getting the right culture and attitude in place. Let's step aside. Take another break. When we come back, I want to tell Ann's story. We'll talk about some things that have led her from point A to point B and get her 
get her take, uh, get her story, and 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 share the rest of her with you. My guest, Ann Jacoby, joins me today. Culture and creativity expert, Ann Jacoby, joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. Have you ever wanted to live a bucket list life? Or if you're a business owner, have you ever wanted to incentivize your team in unbelievable ways? I have got just the thing for you. You need to contact my friend, Brad Norwood, with Dream It Pro Professional Events. Brad's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I can tell you he has helped numerous companies achieve unbelievable things through experience travel. Experiences are what people want. They want to know how they can live incredible bucket list lives as well, too. And Brad can help you with both of those things. I can't give you any better encouragement than to give Brad and his team a call right now at 479-466-6907 or go to www.dreamitpro.com. And when you get there, click on events and you are going to see some unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I promise you this, unlike plaques, awards, trophies, things like that, experiences, and trips like these don't burn up in a fire. Again, go to www.dreamitpro.com today. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I want to dive into your story Um, and take me as far back as you want to go. I will step aside and not try to say anything. I may have a question or two around that. But, you know, the little invisible audience member may be tapping me on the shoulder and say, ask her this, ask her this, you know, and I may have to do that. But again, I want to, I want to say, I want you to, to save room and space and tell your story. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So I, I tell my story a lot in settings like these or, or with clients but I want to back up a little further uh, than I normally do because of your audience, because of this invitation to share a story, to encourage and to really focus on that uh, intentionally. Um, so when I was uh, a young kid, I actually was born in, in Pennsylvania, moved to California and was at a new school. Uh, I was around five, six years old and uh, I was diagnosed with leg Perthes disease an unusual disease, mostly common in, in little boys, but my hip was not growing correctly in its socket. And I had to, I was limping for a while, had crutches and, you know, mind you, I'm five, six years old, um, in a new school. And I had to wear a brace on my leg to, to correct this, this disease. And that made me different. You know, here I am new kid in a new school, new state. Uh, and I look different. And that was a really defining moment in my life, um, kind of character building moment where I was operating in spaces where I was kind of the odd person out. I couldn't do things that all the other kids could do. Um, I'm sure there was, you know, laughter and people pointing. Um, but I am told, and I don't have a lot of memories from these, these days, it's been a while. Um, but I'm told that I would approach kids proactively and say, Hey, I know I look different but this is what's going on with me. And you're not going to catch this. It's not contagious. 
um, but I just have to wear this on my legs. And I, you know, did so confidently and, you know, tried to put it out there as a way of connecting and putting people at ease. And I think it was so foundational for me as a, as a human to recognize that, hey, we're all different in some way. Uh, we may look different. We may have different beliefs. We may have, um, you know, different appearances. But fundamentally, there are things that do connect us. And, and so, I got to ask you, yeah, please yeah, forgive please. me. I've got to ask you, how would Anne, the parent of two young children, have parented Anne, the child, with yeah. the hip disease like yeah. that and 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 you know talk about the influence of your family around that because I'm, i mean when, when a child goes through that and i didn't i don't want to call you a special needs child but th there were some challenges that you had with the hip disease sure that maybe uh, if you have siblings your brothers and sisters may not have had your parents had to do things differently um but how would ann as a parent now how would you have responded to yourself as, as the child walking through that? Well, I'm just so grateful for, for my parents and, and my sister, the way that they, um, you know, were very supportive, but they also didn't coddle me. Um, they let me move through the world as if I was any other kid. And, um, you know, I'm sure that they were concerned and, and wanted to protect me and, uh, as a parent, now I have experienced, you want to shield your kids from any kind of discomfort. But often the best thing for them is to just go out there, get a little bruised along the way, pick themselves back up and, and learn from it. And I think, I hope that I could parent in the way that my, my parents uh, were to me in just letting me experience it. Yes, have hard days, but move through it and build that resilience. You know, we talk a lot about re resilience, especially in the pandemic and how powerful that is uh, as a skill, as a, as a leadership quality. And, and that's something that I think at that age really did define me and, and shape how I view the world. So how old were you when you finally um, kind of overcame that disease? You mentioned you were about five or six yeah. when you were diagnosed and had to wear braces on your legs. Yep. Um, how long did you, were you, did you have to wear those braces and kind of move us through that process? And Yeah, um, so I, you know, I wore them, wore the brace for about a year. Um, and by the time I was about seven, I had the brace off. I kind of relearned how to walk confidently. And I mean, you would never know it from looking at me now. And I went on to be a dancer and singer and, um, you know, didn't have the, the lingering impact. It was basically corrected. Did you ever think uh, back to those days when you were, when you were dancing and things like that? And, and because here's why I asked that. Yeah. I think some people, when they overcome something like, um, like people that have broken an arm or a leg or something, you know, there are times where that injury were kind of, they go, oh, you know, just, you know, I'm, you know, it's, I, it kind of, you know, I can tell when it's going to rain because I broke my leg sure. when I was a teenager <laughs> and things like that. Or, or, you know, they kind of remember, it's like, you know, I remember being on crutches for two months and having a, a cast and things like that. Did you ever think as you were a teenager or, or a young person, did you ever think about those times that you had the brace on that year that you had the brace on your hip and what kind of ran through your mind when, when those times would come? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it helps you put things into perspective, at least for me, it's, it's about recognizing small moments of gratitude, uh, whether it's, you know, physical health, mental health, 
um, well-being. Uh, we just have to be grateful for each moment because it is all so fleeting. Uh, you know, accidents can happen at any time. People get sick. So I think now, you know, fast forward, do I think about it? Not that often, but it's definitely had an impact on, again, how I, how I move through the world because I recognize uh, we're all faced with these things. I, that was just one small part of my journey, but everyone could probably share a similar story of some kind of big obstacle like that, that has had an impact. Well, and again, you, you, as parents, the one thing that we want to do is to shield our kids from things that hurt, things that, that don't, you know, I talked about it in my book, People Buy From People. I talked about the day that my wife was at the mall with our son and, and the, the guy from, there was a guy from the Shriners there and my son was playing in the, in the, in the play area and he had his shoes off and the, the guy said, I couldn't help notice your son's flat feet and how we went to, to Shriners and got him some corrective insoles that helped him possibly later on down the road, prevent knee injuries and things like that as he began to play sports and things like that. And I think, okay, that was a, a moment where, you know, we might've had to endure some things, you know, he might've been more susceptible to a ligament tear or something like that. And you look back and you want to shield your kids from those things, but you think to yourself, yeah, but have we, have we shielded them the lesson that life provided them? And that you mentioned the sense of gratitude and I love that the encouragement that comes from that gratitude and take me through if, if there's another moment or two in your life where you've had to, to deal with those obstacles, take me through a moment or two like that. And, and the lesson you learned from those times. And again, I don't want to get too personal. If there's something you don't want to share, please don't feel obligated to share, but I'd love <laughs> to hear if there's something else in your life that really solidified that gratitude piece for you. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I've reinvented myself a few times um, throughout my career. And like I mentioned, I was a singer, actor, dancer for a while professionally. I was in New York doing that. Uh, I happened to be in New York during 9-11. That was also a big defining moment where the community really rallied around, wow, we've all just gone through this. Um, and, and we're going to emerge stronger as a community from this terrible thing that happened. And for me, I really did some soul searching and recognized that I no longer wanted to professionally sing, act, and dance. I wanted something more stable. I wanted to be able to buy a home someday. And, you know, plenty of performers do that. Uh, they're mm -hmm. able to, to make that work. But for me, I, I just really wanted more stability. Um, and so... Well, a lot I of professional singers and musicians, they, they come to that, to that crossroads in their life where, yeah. you know, they, they're, they're tired of riding a bus from town to town. You know, yep. they're, they're tired. They, they want to have, you know, their kids get a little bit older and they want to do a lot of the things that most people, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah. they want to do what most people want to, you know, I want to go to my kids' baseball games. I want to go to my daughter's piano recital. I want to go and, and just be a parent, you know, just be in, in the crowd instead of being the reason the crowd is there, <laughs> you know, they get, and, 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 and and I admire you for deciding that, that you wanted that stability in your life because you worked so hard to get to the levels that you got to 
the hours and the dedication and the sacrifice and the putting off things you want to do to do things you have to do. A lot like being an entrepreneur. There's there's sim, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. But what was that moment like for you when you just decided that, okay, this part of my life is over and I'm going to do something else? What were your emotions like? What what did you have to kind of fight through or wrestle with to just to settle with that decision? Yeah. I mean, it, again, I'll go back to the growth mindset. Um, here I here I was stepping into the business world where you know I, I had been a theater major. I uh, didn't really have a background in business. I ended up getting my MBA uh, at Stern later. But um, you know I think being in those spaces where we feel a little out of our element, where um, you know we're the person who who doesn't fit in with everyone, that can be really encouraging to to get out of our safe spaces to stretch our our mental agility to learn something new and to recognize that we still have the power to, to learn whatever we want to learn next. Uh, I think that that's always been my mantra is, Hey, if I'm interested in this and I'm curious about this, I'm going to invest the time in learning it, mm -hmm. have the discipline around it. And, you know, I'll, I'll get better at it. You know, tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to keep learning, keep learning. So that is probably the through line of my life. If I were to think about it is that creative, appetite to keep learning and stretching. And I, I just never get too comfortable. <laughs> do you ever go around the house dancing or singing for your kids? <laughs> I do. Um, and my kids are right there with me. So Aww. I learn from them. I'm the audience member and my um, son you know, eye rolls. He just eye rolls <laughs> and shakes his head. My 21 year old just, just, you know, is like, Oh no, dad has completely lost it. I was trying to dance one day and my son thought I was having a seizure. Started <laughs> to call sure nine. Yes. He, my son started to call nine one one. He's like, okay, dad <laughs> is losing it. He's, he's, you know, you know, has, has the phone in his hand and he's dialing nine one one. And I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good, man. Don't, you don't have to do that. But it's funny that, that, that life, and I love where this conversation is, is going because, you know, life is about creatively overcoming things. That's why, that's why folks, that's why the intentional encourager podcast exists because there is so much intentional encouragement in the stories of people's lives, the things that they've overcome the challenges that life has brought them, but they, but the creative solutions that life has provided them. When I got to ask you this, you're a singer, actor, dancer, the theater is, is second nature performing things like that. Take me to the first day you stepped into a business class. What was your <laughs> what was your thought process like? Because again, I get, I tell people all the time, singing for me is natural. It, it, it's natural for me. If I were to walk into an auto mechanics classrooms, I would, I would freak out. I would be like, oh no, <laughs> what am I doing here? I mean, it's, this is like, but, but again, and what was that transition? I, I got to ask that because what was that transition like for you? Did you have to fight through some of those fears or was it just, okay, I, I've decided this part of my life is over. This is the next chapter. It's just time to move on. I, I've, I have made my decision. I've settled it and moving forward. Yeah. Um, 
probably all of the above, to be honest, Brian. I mean, I think it's a lot of um, coming to terms with, well, what do I have to offer? What, what's the value add that I have in these spaces? How does my different background actually become an asset in this situation? And yes, there's insecurity and we all deal with imposter syndrome and do I belong in this room and am I going to measure up? And I think that's just natural human <laughs> feelings. Yeah. Um, but I think when you shift the perspective again and think, well, what do I have that might be different and might be a different way of looking at this because of my background and because of the spaces in which I've played for, for decades. Um, I think that's the way that you overcome those moments of insecurity. Forgive me for jumping backwards, yeah. but, but I, I was struck by the fact that you were in New York working during nine 11. Mm. What is the one life lesson that you, when you look back and it's been now 20, almost 21 years, Yeah, you know, my son was about to turn one, literally two days later, it was his first birthday. Hmm. What will you take away as a life lesson from those four or five day or a week period that either helps you now in life or in business? Was there, was there something that, that you continue to draw from that experience from even to, even to this day? Yeah. I mean, I, I have very clear memories of that time. And I think the, the silent eye contact that was made on the subway, uh, in the days that followed that horrific day, uh, I'll never forget those connection moments with strangers, uh, from all walks of life and just how, how we are all one human community and how powerful that can be when we come together. The The spirit of New York was so strong following those events. Um, I'll, I'll always carry that with me. I'm struck by that, the silent eye contact, because we saw all the public displays and, and you know, the firefighters raising the flag out of the, the, the ruins and the rubble of, of the Twin Towers and everybody, yeah, hurrah, we're going to get them and things like that. That strikes me, the silent eye contact. And, and I, I have to think, and forgive me, I'm trying to put myself in the moment. Mm -hmm. I'd have to think the silent eye contact was, I'm hurting, you're hurting. What just happened? How did it happen? Is it a dream? Are we going to, you know, all that stuff. How would, I want to, I want to kind of bring this to a, a close here in the next couple of questions, but, and I'm curious, how would you have encouraged yourself back then in those moments? How would you have pushed yourself to move forward? Because again, that's not only a defining moment in your, in your professional journey. But your personal journey, because you, you told me a few minutes ago, it's like, okay, that was kind of the, that was the moment that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. And I'm sure for a lot of folks, that was a defining moment for how they viewed life coming down the road. If you could step back to a couple of days after that, that tragedy, how would you have intentionally encouraged yourself? Yeah, I, I needed the encouragement. I, a big part of me thought, should I just move back home to California and 
um, feel the warm embrace of my family. You know, I was across the country from them in many ways. I was questioning, should I even be here? Uh, but I had some really strong encouragers in my life who, who really um, were there to, to say, just stick with it. We're going to get through this. It's going to be brighter on the other side. And I think if I were to coach myself, it would be, this is the time to activate your creativity. You will find new ways to get through this. You will find ways to pay your rent. You will find ways to build the life that you imagine. And I think we could all use that coaching in whatever stage of life we're in, but especially when we have these moments that really shake us and rattle us is you can get through this. It can be even better on the other side when we activate our creativity. I love that. I was going to ask you what your biggest piece of intentional encouragement is, but I think you said it. I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's activating your creativity. And how can folks find your resources? How can they connect with you? Take a moment to let folks know where they can find your, your resources, connect, things like that. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and Jacoby. Uh, my website is either anjacoby.com or springstreetco.com. And that's where I have great digital assets like the Creativity Culture Guide that you can download. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram at anjacoby.author. So any of those places. I'm just jotting this down <laughs> so that I can put it in the notes. Go to anjacoby.com, A-N-N-E-J-A-C-O-B-Y.com or Spring Street, S-P-R-I-N-G-S-T-R-E-E-T.com, LinkedIn.co, forgive me, dot Springstreetco.com. So let me try this again. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me hit the live restart here. Go to springstreet.co, it's S-P-R-I-N-G. S T sorry, it's springstreetco.com. Springstreetco.com. There you go. No, listen, it's it's quite all right. I wanted you to tell folks how they can connect with you, and then I'm butchering it, and people are just going, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to find the right place to go. <laughs> and it, you're messing this up, Brian. But but again, go to LinkedIn, connect with Ann, go to Ann Jacoby, A-N-N-E-J-A-C-O-B-Y.com. And you can find a lot of those resources. And this has been a blast. Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.